Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the Living History Podcast, broadcasting live across the airwaves. Hello everyone, welcome to a special episode of Living History and you may have seen on our website and through all our social media channels that we've got a really exciting thing coming up and so this is a bonus episode to talk about that. I'm talking about our World War II cruise. This is leaving in August 2020 from Brisbane, is sailing through the waters of PNG, it's visiting key battlefields such as Milne Bay and Rabaul. But the most important thing is we've got an incredible history conference on the cruise. For three days on the ship, you will meet with some incredible historians to talk all about the Second World War. And I am joined today by one of those historians, Mr. Gary Mackay. And Gary uh, earned a military cross in Vietnam, was wounded in Vietnam, uh, quite a famous Vietnam veteran. And Gary's coming along to talk about his experiences of combat and a whole range of other things. Gary, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Mate. I, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about Vietnam and people would have heard your um, fantastic podcast you did with me last year about your experiences in Vietnam, but you've also got some pretty strong connections with the Second World War, haven't you? Oh, yes. Uh, Mum and Dad, of course, served in the Defence of Australia, but my Uncle Joe and Uncle Bob, my father's elder brothers, um, Uncle Joe went to North Africa, but my Uncle Bob ended up in the commando in an independent company. And, uh, and of course, I used to listen to these stories on Anzac Day when the brothers would all get together. And uh, I had no idea that I would eventually end up in the same boots as them one day. And so, yeah, I've got a very strong connection there. Given that connection to this, this history, both through your family and also your personal experience in the military, 
why are you looking forward to this cruise? Because it's going to be a pretty special journey going up to PNG. There'll be lots of the passengers will have um, family members who served. There's going to be a lot of great stories told over the bar as well as during the conference. Why mm. do you think this cruise is going to be special? I think it'll be special for me in one way because I did a bit of time working in Goldie River and Weewak when my battalion was tasked with training uh, nationals from the PNG to serve in the PNGDF. Uh, that was back in 90 and 91. And, uh, but I never got to go to places like Milne Bay or a ball. And, uh, and I, so I'm really looking forward to that. I've, I've walked up to Imeter Ridge, uh, cause I only had a couple of days, but I'm really looking forward to that. But I really want to hear from some of these presenters about their knowledge of, of the war in Papua New Guinea, because, um, I studied it, but never in depth the way I would have liked to. I think it's the funny thing that as I've spoken to all of these historians that are coming on the on the voyage, and we've got great historians from Carl James from the Australian War Memorial, we've got Peter Dean from the University of West Australia, Kiko Tamura from Australian National University, brilliant historians. Each of them has said the same thing to you, though. Oh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what Kiko's got to say, or Carl says, I want to hear about Pete's presentation. So mm. I'm really excited because the historians that are coming on this voyage are doing it because they're enthusiastic as well. Mm. Um Names like Milne Bay, Rabal, you know, these iconic World War II names. How important is that history to you? When you, 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 spent a lot, you spent an entire career in the Army, how important is that legacy? How important are these names of places where Anzac troops fought in previous engagements? Oh, it's incredibly important. You know, I have a, I have a, a deep personal connection with, with the Milne Bay side of it because uh, one of my soldiers who was the last Australian to die on active service his father, uh, Jim Niblett, uh, was awarded the Military Medal for his actions at Milne Bay with the 2nd 6th. And uh, I used to speak to Jim about Milne Bay, and I could not believe the way those guys were thrown into battle with the minimalist training and equipment. Um, I had the opportunity uh, about 15 years ago to interview a guy who was in the 7th Division, fought in in Syria uh, against the Vichy French, but then came back to Australia and went to New Guinea. And I was rereading my transcript of my interview for his family oral history. And at one stage, his 900-man battalion was reduced to about 138. And when he was a captain, he commanded two rifle companies, but they only totaled 50 men. And so I had, I've had this great connection with these people over the years, but I'm really looking forward to going back and, and really getting some in-depth stuff now. As well as serving yourself, Gary, you've obviously, during your long career in the military, had a chance to talk to younger people as well, or to, you know, to a lot of young soldiers. Do you think to the new generation, to the younger generation of soldiers, names like Milne Bay and Rabal and Guadalcanal and Kokoda, are they are they important to these these people, or is it something that belongs in the in the past? Oh no, I think I think you find, especially in the infantry corps, um, and especially for the young young officers that are coming through the system, they hear about places like Milne Bay, the first time the Japanese were defeated on land, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, they hear about Kokoda. Uh, I wish they'd hear more about Guadalcanal um, because you were able to show me that link uh, that I never really put together a couple of years back. But um, they do hear about it. But, and these days, there's a there's an emphasis on soldiers having to learn about 
jungle fighting because it can erupt anywhere. And I think that's that's why it's important. Well, it brings us neatly to um, the area that I've invited you to come on the cruise to talk specifically about, given your experience in Vietnam and your long career in the military. Um, you're going to come on the cruise to talk about this evolution of jungle warfare and, and, and to paint a picture of what it's like to, to mm. fight in these conditions. Because I think that's really important because, sadly, you know, had we done this cruise 20 or 30 years ago, it would have been filled with World War II veterans who could have told us their stories. But obviously now the, the few who are left are in their late 90s or early 100s. And unfortunately, we, mm. we it's not going to be long before we don't have those stories anymore. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated. And the reason I wanted you to come is we need to know it, – it, history can't just be about books and archives. We need to know about that personal experience. And no one has had a better personal experience than you of what it's like to be – deep in the jungle with the bullets flying. So tell us about what you're going to present on this cruise and, and what you're going to bring to the, uh, to the discussion. What I want to try and do is highlight the lineage. Um, I, I had the opportunity to do an oral history uh, uh, program at, at the Australian Army Staff College uh, in the early 90s, and the subject was training in war. And we were able to get hold of people who had come from North Africa back to Australia, and then go to New Guinea. And I actually met the man that was given the job of establishing the jungle training school up on the Atherton Tableland. He was told he had 30 days to clear a campsite and prepare the place, the camp, for training. Because it can't be overstated, can it, the, the, the transition that occurred in forty-one, forty-two, when we had, you know, tens of thousands of Anzac troops leaving the Middle East yeah. and coming over and being deployed straight away to New Guinea. Yeah. And they had to learn in a very short period of time how to fight in the jungle. And it's one thing. You talk to veterans. I've been fortunate to interview many veterans about the Second World War. And the, the guys that were in North Africa and then came to New Guinea, they talk about just the shock that it was to the system. They thought they were good fighters. They thought they knew what they were doing. And it was like nothing that they prepared for when they got into the jungle. No. I was lucky. Um, prior to going to Vietnam, all soldiers had to go to the jungle training centre at Canungra, outside of the Gold Coast up on the hinterland, and you were made very much aware of the lineage of jungle fighting when you arrived at the front gate, because the Z Force have got a plaque there, because that's where they used to hold their annual reunions, because that was where they all stepped off from before going up onto their different tasks with different independent companies in the island. And... After the, I came back from Vietnam, I was posted to Canungra on the battle wing and then as adjutant. So I got to meet and host the Z Force commandos on their annual pilgrimage back to Canungra and listen to their stories. And some of them horrific, uh, you know, going, being sent into an area without maps, like no maps. And I said, well, how did you operate? They made going maps. They basically made their own maps as they went. And I just couldn't believe that, you know. No radios. They only used landline. You know, stuff like this. And um, and I was able to follow that through. Uh, my own father told me about going to Canungra before he was deployed to North Queensland. And he said, oh, yeah, we carried our kit bags up from the railway station at Canungra. Well, when I was at Canungra, there was no railway station. <laughs> that railway line had been ripped up. And I actually found the campsite where Dad had actually camped on the left-hand side of the road going uh, back down to uh, one of the creeks down the bottom of the hill. Um, 
So we, in 1969-70-71, we were benefiting from all of that training that guys did at Canungra up on the Atherton Tableland, and that was passed down. It was only one generation between the Second World War and us in Vietnam. And so all that stuff was passed on hand to mouth. It's fantastic. I think that's something really important. My study of the military indicates that when you go from a period of warfare to a period of peace and then another war again a generation later, many of those lessons are forgotten. And we, we, we go through it constantly. We still go through it today, you know, that we, we don't learn the lessons that we should have from Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm also aware that on the flip side of that, particularly when it comes to the infantryman who relies on this knowledge and this training and this information to stay alive, there is a very strong link from what one group passes on to the next. And I think we saw that even experiences in the First World War, for example, when uh, when Aussie troops fought at Bitter Parker in New Guinea in 1914, even there they were starting to learn lessons about what you know, what happened when you went into a jungle as a force, mm. which obviously carried on very strongly into the Second World War, and that was when we developed it to a fine art. And then would you say that it was passed successfully from the Second World War onto future generations, including your own generation, Vietnam? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we were very lucky uh, in that a lot of the senior instructors we had, and we're talking Wo2s, Wo1s, majors as chief instructors and senior instructors, They'd done the hard yards. And then some of those guys then went to Korea. Again, a totally different ball game, but then we were in Malaya and Borneo. We didn't even do five years without being in a conflict. And, and so it was passed down. And uh, there are always lessons being passed down from generation to generation. My, my own platoon sergeant, for example, did three campaigns in the same platoon. He did Borneo, Malaya, and Viet, two tours of Vietnam. Wow. So, I mean, he started in 1960 in Borneo. So, you know, we, that's how we got the message. It's going to be extraordinary to hear you talk about this on the ship. Um, the other thing that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you is you're a Vietnam veteran who is quite open about your experiences of combat. I know for many Vietnam veterans it's something that they struggle to convey. Um, I'm looking forward to exploring that as well. I think we'll do some, we're still putting the program together, but I'm looking forward to some, perhaps a special workshop where you talk about your experiences of being in combat. Do you think that's something that can ever be adequately conveyed to us, you know, lowly civvies who've never wore a, worn a uniform? Is it possible to, to get a feeling by talking to people like yourself about what it was like to be in combat? I think so. If, you know, if your respondent is prepared to open up and, and, and dig deep into their little black soul, um, yeah, sometimes it's not pleasant to go there. Um, but I always, when I, when I returned from Vietnam, the places where I wanted to serve were training institutions because I wanted to pass on what I had learned because it wasn't in the books. And that's what I wanted to pass on. Um, and that's why I guess I wrote my first book. Uh, and that was to, you know, to, to get that message down there. Yeah. Well, it's going to be um, – I can't wait, Gary. It's going to be fantastic. We've got uh, – you know, unfortunately, we've got over a year now until the, until the cruise goes. It's August 2020. Um, but I think it's just going to be a fantastic experience. Your insights into the, the, the experience of the man on the ground carrying a rifle, carrying a pack, being in that jungle environment, 
your experiences of combat. It's going to be extraordinary, and I, I can't wait to hear your contribution to that conference. So thank you very much for joining us on the cruise, um, and also thank you very much for talking to us today. No, mate, I'm looking forward to it. That's Gary Mackay. Uh, check out our website at battlefields.com.au for information about our World War II cruise to New Guinea. It's going to be a fantastic voyage, August 2020 from Brisbane round trip. So we hope to see you on board. Until next time, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.